Hello, I'm TJ. Welcome to my garden. Uh, as I've said in the previous episodes, I am actually out in my garden recording. And today we're going to do a whole lot about corn, part two. Um, I'm going to talk about the hybrids because I didn't really get to that last time. I ended with the land races. Um, the land, a land race, as I said in the last episode, is any variety that's basically developed in a region over time. Um, it's not intentionally bred, although they can be, uh, but mostly it's just the product of saving the seeds you like every year over and over and over and over again until you develop a variety that is very specifically geared towards your land. Um, the intentional side of it is you're probably only taking seed from plants you like. The unintentional side of it is that you're only able to take seed from the plants that obviously survive to produce seed. So you end up with crops that are very tailored to your conditions and that have traits you find favorable, and that is a land race. Now, many varieties start out as land races. You also have varieties that are intentionally bred, meaning that somebody actually crossed plants with the intention to make a specific plant. Those aren't always as developed towards your content, uh, aren't always as well developed towards your conditions, unless that was what you were breeding for. But they do tend to have specific traits you want, which a land race may not. Now, in the last one, I touched upon how we are hybridizing different land race traits we like, like the new one, the ability to fix nitrogen, or the old one, glutinous corn from Asia, into commercial varieties. The degree of what we have done with corn is mind-boggling. Uh, we have taken this little plant from the Americas, which, keep in mind, Native Americans had developed many varieties of corn. Um, we're still finding out the diverse array of corn they had and how they used it, and it's, it's absolutely fascinating. But we've taken that and expanded it even more, right? Um, in the last one, I touched upon how we got super sweet corns and all that kind of stuff. Well, what we've been doing since then is taking these and hybridizing them. Now, when you hear the term hybrid or hybridizing, you're probably thinking of crossing species, which uh, botanists do as well, right? We, we cross plants all the time from one species to another that have traits we want. But the hybrids, when you see hybrid F1 seed or whatever in a crop description, that's actually not a hybrid usually of two different species. It is sometimes, but usually it is a hybrid within a species. We're taking two different strains of that species and crossing them back together. Now, it's called a hybrid because those strains are usually uh, isolated inbred populations that we bred to have a specific trait. So let's say you want to have a shorter corn that is a sweet corn. You have, you have this really cool variety of short corn that's nice and low to the ground. Then you have this really, really sweet, great variety of sweet corn and you want something that has all those traits. So what you do is you breed the sweet corn to have all the traits for being really, really sweet, all the dominant traits there, and you, as much of the recessive as you can. You inbreed them until those traits are really concentrated. You don't worry about the height trait. In fact, you breed for recessive traits for height as much as you can. And any other traits you just sort of leave there because you want some baseline genetic diversity. And then in the other strain, you breed for that short trait and all the sort of dominant traits in that. And you breed them so that when you cross them, you reliably get a variety that has a super sweet corn, but is short. And once you've perfected that, once you bred those two strains so that every time you cross them, you get that perfect crop, then you just maintain those two strains and continually crossbreed them and you sell that seed. And that is the hybrid seed you buy in a store. 
there's some more complexities to it than that. They use different genetic techniques and stuff because genes aren't always strictly Mendelian, um, meaning that you have a dominant and a recessive gene for every trait. That's not always the case. Sometimes you have more complex series of genes that interact to create traits. Um, we also use the term hybrid when we refer to a lot of our seedless varieties, and those are another animal because those you're taking a variety that has the normal set of genes. And then you're taking a variety where they've managed to double the genes in that variety and you're crossing it back to the original. So you end up with a plant that has a complete set of genes and then a broken half set of genes, a triploid plant, right? It has three genes, two of which combine, one doesn't. And because that one isn't, it actually, we found, has an effect on seed production. Namely, it prevents it from producing seed. In some cases, like seedless cucumbers, um, I don't know if that's actually caused parthenocarpy. Parthenocarpy being the development of fruit without pollinization. So um, navel oranges are parthenocarpic. They'll produce an orange whether they're pollinated or not. The pollen has no effect on them producing an orange. Uh, the same thing is true of seedless cucumbers. And in fact, if you let a seedless cucumber get pollen on it, it will actually produce a bitter cucumber because what happens is the pollen triggers it to start making the chemicals to make seeds, but because its DNA is broken, it can't make seeds. And so when it's developing the fruit, it just leaves a lot of these so slightly toxic, but mostly just bitter and unpleasant chemicals in the cucumber. And they're more distributed through it rather than being concentrated in the seed coat like they naturally would be. So when we create those kinds of hybrids, it's a little more genetically complex than normal, but a lot of the same principles apply. You're still breeding two strains for traits you really like, and you're breeding them in such a way that when they cross, they will reliably produce the same offspring. Um, and a lot of our favorite, you know, plants are hybrids. I mean, sweet millions, tomatoes, uh, a lot of, I think sun gold is also a hybrid. Um, and in the case of corn, it's the source of every joke about all the weirdly named corn varieties you've ever heard in your life comes from. Because that's we've created so many hybrids of corn that when you drive through the Midwest and you see all the signs saying what crop this is or what crop that is, it's like, this is, you know, sweet 275, this is sweet 278, this is sweet 279. We've created tons and tons of hybrids not just for big trades but for little trades we've created hybrids that'll grow in just these soil conditions or just those or require just as much water just that we've created hybrids that are sweet super sweet sweetness extender combinations of them gummy varieties that will produce uh thickeners and a lot of this has to do with the biofuels industry we grow a lot of varieties that are tailored to being then turned into biofuel um, some of these are biomass we've developed varieties of corn that you don't actually harvest for the corn at all you're harvesting them as the you know stalks and stems and leaves to use a silage which is basically just you chop that stuff up and you ferment it a little bit and you feed it to livestock so it's being used as livestock feed primarily it's not even being used for the corn we have varieties that are used for different processed foods and we've bred them to have just this set of traits or that to make them perfect for the kind of processed food they're going to become and we also use a lot of corn to process to make different ingredients that go into processed food like Corn starch, corn gluten, corn this, corn that, high fructose corn syrup, which is, we breed super sweet, right? Or we breed fairly sweet varieties of corn, and then we take those sugars and we break them apart to get the high, the fructose. We get the glucose, we, you know, break it down into the, uh, basically the constituent parts. We just take as much of the fructose as we can to create high fructose corn syrup. Uh, health concerns with that being what they are. But, you know, we, we've created all these very specific varieties. And then anytime we get some new cool trait coming in, 
like the nitrogen fixing I was talking in the last one, then they try to breed those into these commercial varieties and get even more F1 hybrids. And so we've created so many hybrids of corn, they actually ran out of names. Because when you look at like hybrid tomatoes, usually they have a name. Uh, if you want to see the names of a ton of hybrid tomatoes, you can go to the Heinz Ketchup website. They actually have the 50, I want to say 57, uh, varieties. The 57 in Heinz 57 is actually the number of varieties of tomato that their seed uh, company, they actually have a seed company branch that they sell. So they sell 57 varieties of tomatoes, uh, basically best suited to make their products, but also to li uh, live in a variety of conditions. They sell these to farmers and then buy the resulting harvest to make their products. So they develop 57 varieties for that purpose. And farmers can pick from varieties with different traits they need in their conditions or for whatever product they're trying to get at the end. And then they grow those out and they sell them back to Heinz. Um, and we have a similar situation with corn, but if you look at those 57 varieties on the Heinz websites, almost all of them just have a name. With beans, we've gone a little past names, and sometimes you'll see like Blue Lake, for instance. Um, the Blue Lake bean is a very popular bean. Uh, it's not strictly speaking a hybrid. I believe the original actually was um, just a variety, but the hybrids and everything of it are, have become so numerous that they are often numbered now. Um, and with corn, it's, it's ages past that. They have numbers and complex code words in front of them. And trying to suss it out when you're not a farmer is almost pointless. It's really pointless because, of course, the varieties of corn you're going to grow at home usually aren't any of those. There are a few hybrids uh, I like. There's, um, I believe it's Early Sweet Gem uh, is really good early corn that I believe is a hybrid. Um, there are a few other. There's some really good hybrid popcorns out there. But generally speaking, for the home gardener... You're not going to need to know all of that because what you're probably going to do is just buy heirloom seed um, because heirloom corn varieties, quite frankly, are just more interesting to grow. Uh, you're never going to produce on a traditional suburban block enough corn to satisfy every corn related need you might have throughout the year unless you eat very little corn because corn is a crop that you really need a lot of land for if you want to produce a lot. Uh, it's a cost loser sort of uh, in crops because you you know corn sells for so cheap that you need huge tracts of land to make a profit. And even though uh, you don't necessarily need to make a profit, you just want to feed yourself if you're a home gardener, you're still going to need quite a bit of land to grow enough corn to have corn fairly regularly like we often do. So you're probably just growing corn to have for a few times as a special thing. In that case, hybrid, or not hybrid, I'm sorry, heirloom varieties are the way to go because then you get cool varieties. You get, you know, blue corns and black corns and corns with multiple different colors, uh, corn better suited to popcorn. Uh, there's my, one of my favorites is bear paw popcorn. It produces these huge sort of deformed corn cobs that kind of look like a bear's paw at the end. It's really awesome. Um, I grew atomic orange corn recently, which is this bright orange corn. Uh, it grows on relatively short stalks, so they actually, you don't need, you know, have those huge things sticking over your fence line if you don't want them. But it's a dry corn that you use for corn flour. Um, I haven't made corn flour with it yet. I basically grew it, thought the cobs looked really cool, and then hung on to all the seeds. So next time I grow it, I'll probably actually make flour with it. Um, I grew the glass gem corn, which is the one you'll see all over Instagram right now. I'll post some links to where you can get some of these in the show notes. Um, but yeah, corn, the heirloom varieties look cooler. The hybrid varieties have way more commercial applications. 
And so the heirloom varieties are really better suited to home gardeners, especially when you see, like, if you go to Native Seed Search, some of their Native American land races, especially if you live in the Southwest where I live. And I say the Southwest. I live in Southern California. People quibble over whether that counts as the Southwest. We're hot. I consider it the same thing. Um, but in this area, a lot of those traditional Native corns from this area are the best thing you can grow because otherwise you have to supply a lot of excess water and a lot of excess fertilizer. And with the native varieties, I can often grow those just with compost. Um, so I, I do a lot of that here. So definitely seek out the heirloom varieties. Hybrids are way better if you're trying to grow commercially. Um, a lot of hybrids are pretty boring to look at, but they do provide whatever traits you want. So you can kind of pick and choose. So they're great for farmers. Um, I, even though I'd love to see a, a future where, you know, <laughs> Everybody grows at least some of their own food. Uh, with corn, it's probably always going to be a staple crop that has to be grown in large amounts on relatively cheap land. Which sadly means I will never see great corn fields here in California. We'll just see the small ones we already have. Because our land's really expensive and you can't make any profit growing a lot of corn on it. Um, that's, I think, about all I have to say about corn right now. I hope that was informative and somewhat useful. Uh, the big takeaways, I think, for the home gardener is focus on hybrid, or, I'm sorry, focus on heirloom varieties for the most part. If you just want to produce big yellow ears of corn that taste pretty good, then yeah, you can find some really good hybrids uh, for the market for that. But if you look, want something ornamental or kind of pretty or kind of interesting or with a bit of a history to it, then definitely seek out those heirlooms, uh, especially the ones over at Native Seed Search. If you live in the southwest region where you need those heat adapted varieties of corn and be on the lookout for nitrogen fixing corn, which may be in our near future. Anyway, thank you guys for listening to all that. This should be the last episode on corn for a while. <laughs> I may do more stuff on corn as I find more interesting stories. But I think I've done a big enough brain dump on what I know currently. Um, the next episode will be something different, I promise. Anyway, thank you for listening. Have a great day. Uh, you can catch everything I'm doing over at tjsgarden.com. See you later. Bye.